to episode 43 of Nerd of Paradise. This is a very special episode for you for a couple of reasons. I was looking back, I haven't done an episode for almost a year. So welcome back, Nerd of Paradise. This is the first event I've done and been able to since the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. So it's exciting to be out and about again. So I'm on site with this podcast episode. So where I'm at today is Space Fest in Tucson, Arizona. Nice and close to home, so that I didn't have to go too far. So it's pretty much what you would imagine Space Fest would be. Think of like a Comic-Con, but instead of like comic stars and comic book artists, it's all like space-based stuff. So there's astronauts you can get autographs and pictures with. There's Lots and lots of very cool space-themed art. There's panels with experts talking about really cool, nerdy, spacey stuff. It's pretty medium-sized, not too big, not too small. So I think I will go ahead and just play some of the interviews I got while I was at this. So we're at the Eclipses of the Sun booth. So do you want to tell us a little bit about some of your items here? Yeah, these are all pretty much personal items. I've, I've written a number of books, a couple of them on eclipses. And this one is uh, my most recent, mm-hmm. um, Atlas of Solar Eclipses through 2045. Oh, wow. And uh, I did it with a uh, cartographer named, also named Michael. He did the maps, I did the text. And then my wife, right here, Holly, and uh, worked on a coin with me and designed uh, a solar eclipse commemorative coin. And everything else is just stuff that I've accumulated through the years. So is the next one in 2024? The next next one in the U.S. is in 2024. Okay. Correct. Did you experience the last one? We did in 2017? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you bet. Uh, Where did you go for that? We did an event actually with uh, where we had 25,000 people at an airport in St. Joseph, Missouri. Oh wow! Yeah, it was it was a great event. Uh, but I've seen well, I've been to 14 eclipses. I've oh, seen wow. 13. One of them was clouded out. But, yeah, <laughs> but, but I gotta say, we did see China during. Oh, wow. So even though the eclipse was clouded, we saw China. <laughs> there was another podcast I listened to about eclipses and. I think she was in Wyoming or something mm-hmm. for the one in 2017. Yeah. And there's just like audio of it. And there's just like this euphoria that oh, yeah. goes over people. Oh, incredible. Did you experience that? Too? Absolutely. And I mean, <laughs> you know, you'd think, oh, after 14, I'm jaded. Yeah. And, you know, no, not at all. I'm how, do you, like, how do you put it into words like the experience? You really can't. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's literally unique. Yeah. And I, I use that word rarely. But uh, a total solar eclipse, to see darkness at midday, yeah. you know, and, and wow. just the corona, not the sun's disk, but just the outer atmosphere of it is just beyond words. I've lectured to thousands of people, you know, and been really excited. And I, I sometimes feel like P.T. Barnum. <laughs> Come see the circus, you know. But of all the people that I've ever lectured to, um, how many of them have been disappointed? How many of them afterward told me I overhyped the event? <laughs> Zero. Wow. Z- that's how impressive it is. That's crazy. Yeah. So where is the best spot to see it in 2020? Well, the path in the United States starts in uh, 
southwestern Texas and goes all the way up through Maine. It's a narrow oh, path, okay. only about you know 100 miles wide, yeah. but um, it's it's longer uh, in the southwest and it's a little bit shorter up in Maine. So the total part of the eclipse in the southwest, mm -hmm. four minutes 27 seconds. When wow. you get up to Maine, you're down to three and a half minutes, okay. which is still yeah. a long time. However, I say that the longest total solar eclipse that's possible is seven and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And it feels like wow. that. Crazy. It really does. Wild. So I imagine like that little strip where it's going to be like they're probably already all sold out with hotels. Uh, and probably not this soon. Not this you soon. Know, 2017 so, started so selling out. So get your out. book so you can get the, the map, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, book all your rooms and get all of your travel right. plans in order. A lot of hotel chains, especially, don't take reservations until a year before. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So, April eighth, twenty twenty three, is going to be yeah. a busy day on the telephone and on the internet. I know, because on that <laughs> podcast I listened to, that's what, like they were saying in in Wyoming, it just was like insane because everything yeah. was sold out. Oh yeah, and what wasn't sold out was so <laughs> overpriced. Yeah, definitely. Just crazy. Crazy. But people people still went and still bought the rooms. Yeah. So uh, tell me about your podcast. My podcast uh, in 2017 was called uh, the Total Solar Eclipse Podcast. Oh, there you go. In 2017. I started it in um, 2015, and I did 139 straight episodes, oh, one wow. a week. Uh, it was really popular. The last six weeks of it, I was averaging 80,000 listens a day. Wow. So... The company that was hosting the podcast basically sent me two emails a day. Well, you know, you're way over your quota. you got to pay oh, us man. more and all that. And I'm thinking, just wait a month and it'll be yeah. all over with. Yeah, Eclipse Mania. <laughs> right, right. So Very maybe cool. maybe do a podcast for 2024. There you go. Start right maybe at the beginning of 2023. So, cool. Yeah. So where can people go to find out more about you? Or do you have like a Twitter I handle will. or... I will give you a Email card. Letters. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Yeah. Very nice. Well, thanks for chatting. Thank yeah. you. My name is Loretta Hall. Okay. I'm an author. Oh, nice. Oh, I like, I have, is that one of the solar system necklaces? It I is. Those. I yes. forgot to wear it today. Yeah. Well, I like the one you are. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh. I got it over there at that booth over there. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, tell me about some of your books. Well, I write nonfiction books about human space exploration. Okay. And my latest one is, um, I was the As Told To author oh. of Wally Funk's memoir. Oh, my goodness. And uh, for people who don't know, she was a member of Mercury 13, and she's going up on the Blue Origin flight next I, week. I saw that on the news. I, yes. She seems like such an interesting lady. She is a fascinating yes. person. Yes. Very cool. I'm and glad she gets to finally go back up. Yeah. Not back, but go up there. Yeah, it's been 60 years yeah. that she's been trying. That's so cool. Very nice. And then my other books uh, are about, um, mostly about the history of space exploration. One about <coughs> the development of space programs in New Mexico, which goes all the way back to 1930. So it's a very long history. And then I have one called Space Pioneers in Their Own Words that's excerpts from oral history interviews of people who worked in space programs, giving the human angle as well as the technological angles. 
And I have a complete space bus bucket list. Oh, nice. A hundred space things to do before that's you die, cool. so that's fun. Is Space Fest on there? <laughs> <laughs> well, going to various conferences is. To be very honest, cool. I can't remember if Space Fest is on it, but yeah. it probably is. I had, this is the first year I've heard of Space Fest. So. Well, I had heard of it for several years, but this is the first time I've come. So, yeah, yeah, very cool. So, I mean, it seems like in the news, you know, like with, with the billionaires going up into... The portion of space, anyway. Like, what do you think that's the future of space travel? Is like with tourists, or what do you think? Well, I think that? that will be one element of it. Um, certainly, there have been enough people to buy tickets or express interest in buying tickets that I think it'll be a viable sub industry. Yeah. Um, the real future, I think, is in you know more substantial efforts in orbital and and uh, beyond orbit. Yeah. You know. So where do you see space exploration in, say, like, the next 10, 20 years? Uh, 10 or 20 years is probably going to just evolve gradually from what we see now. I think it'll take longer than that before we see a real quantum leap, if yeah. you will. Um, like Star Trek style. <laughs> well, yeah, that'll take centuries. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, getting a base established on the moon, which I think is an important next step, would be probably 20 years from now okay. in my my uneducated guess yeah <laughs> interesting yeah um, that's cool yeah that seems it's a interesting field and it'll be very cool to see like where everything takes us yeah it's it's exciting i grew up in the mercury gemini apollo era which oh, wow. was very exciting <clears throat> and now with the development of commercial space flight uh, it's it's feeling exciting again. Yeah. You know, NASA has been doing good stuff with the space shuttle and the ISS, but it doesn't, it hasn't had quite the same aura of excitement. Right. Yeah, that's cool. Um, where can people go to find out more about you and your books? Well, my website is authorhall.com, A-U-T-H-O-R, hall.com, and uh, my books are available on Amazon. Perfect. So. Awesome. Florida Hall. Very cool. Well, thanks for chatting. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good one. All right. So I'm here with Susan, is it Nimu? Nimu. Nimu? Mm -hmm. um, here at Space Fest. And she's got a very interesting setup that caught my eye. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about um, your art here and your process and that kind of thing? Well, I my concept, my interest, is to reflect heaven on earth. So I use gemstones, semi-precious gemstones, to create um, feelings of space and to appreciate what we've got. Because a lot of the stones look like meteors or part of meteors, and so Very that's cool. what I do. Yeah. Very neat. It's beautiful work. Um, what are some of your favorite gemstones or semi-precious gemstones to work with? <laughs> well, let me tell you what my process is because oh, it's sure. very different than it isn't really a favorite at, at this moment because mm -hmm. my favorite can change. Gotcha. Is um, pink, term, uh, pink amethyst okay. is my favorite right now. Oh, and nice. um, actually, I sold the one that I had here. Oh. But my process is that I'm an energy person, so how I how I see myself is kind of a conduit that stones mm -hmm. in my world have a frequency, a vibration about them, an energy about them, and that 
I muscle test everything. Okay. And so I'm, I have categories of art for me. So some are circles, some are framed, the stones are framed. Some are, what I'm doing here, are, are woven okay. and, on copper. And I use copper in most of my pieces. Mm-hmm. And copper is a conduit of energy. Mm-hmm. So I muscle test to find out what is the, the project? Is it going to be a framed piece? Is it going to be a circle piece? And then I, I muscle test all the stones that I have and say, what piece wants to be made right now? Mm-hmm. Because I look at it as there's somebody who needs that mm-hmm. in their world, and it needs it in a combination that's for them. And I have an inventory, and so I muscle-tested what are the ones that need to come to this show because yeah. there are people at this show who need a specific one, yeah. and that's how it happens. Okay, that's very interesting. So muscle-test, similar dowsing, I douse it. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, so what are some of the different uh, like techniques? You kind of mentioned it earlier, but um, looks like wire wrapping maybe? Well, I wrap circles. I use... Uh, wires like chicken wire or whatever because there needs to be something that you can attach the stone to so for a frame Mm -hmm. I use different types of of regular wire Mm -hmm. uh, structure wire Um, for say this piece particularly it's on a canvas Mm -hmm. and then cover the canvas but I wire the stones through the canvas okay. uh, to attach them because right. they have to the, yeah. the canvas itself isn't strong enough gotcha. um, because stones can be hefty right so right. in this instance this larger piece mm-hmm. is on a canvas mm-hmm. that has a board behind it to support the weight of the huge crystal gotcha to support the yeah. melted, so there's melted copper that oh, wow. has been fired, mm-hmm. so you get the hues of green and mm-hmm. mauve and stuff from the copper, and then the stones, crystals, pearls, carnelian, amethysts are all wired wow. onto that. That's cool. That's very neat. Uh, where can people go to find out more about your work or to purchase your work online or anything? Well, I'm somewhat of a Luddite, so okay. there, there is no website. <laughs> However, I'm happy to give my email address, oh, yeah. and you can contact me that way. Sure. So it's, uh, it's ITS dot earth dot magic okay. um, at gmail. So President in Waiting and The Wonder of It All, can you tell me about these movies? So The Wonder of It All is about uh, the Moonwalkers, and we interviewed seven of the nine at the time that we're living. But what I wanted to do was to give more of a personal approach to the guys that actually went, as opposed to the science and the technology. So more of a humanistic kind of look at them and show their personality. So that became uh, a theatrical release uh, that we did uh, back in 2009. Cool. And then President-in-Waiting is uh, on the office of the Vice President, and I... I interviewed every living vice president and every president uh-huh. for this film. Oh, okay. Is that, is that about space or just like in general? No, that was about the office of the vice president. Oh, gotcha. Not a, not, nothing pertaining to space. No, no. <laughs> um, that's cool, though. 
So, um, did you have any like revelations in either of these movies, like personally? Well, I think with the wonder of it all, uh, what was fascinating to me is that I work in Hollywood, right? So I deal with actors and people like that, and, and you're kind of used to a certain way of how they handle things. Yeah. But when you come out and you sit down in front of a guy that walked on the moon, and you realize, wait a minute, this is not an actor. This is a guy that actually did it. And I give them so much credit, you know, and it's, it's just not a revelation from the film, but what always fascinates me is that uh, we, we have these guys living right now, and yet people in general don't seem to care. Yeah. They're more interested in the Kardashian or, <laughs> you know, the Britney Spears thing or yeah. whatever. But but when these guys pass on, there goes all the knowledge, the information. and But yet they're sitting right here and you can talk to them now. Yeah, that is so true. How about, like, what was it like talking to all the different presidents and vice presidents? Well, uh, they were... Uh, <laughs> It's nerve-wracking uh, because you're yeah. dealing not only with the president or the vice president, but you're, you're dealing with Secret Service, right? You're dealing with yeah. all their people. So once you get through all that and you're actually sitting down, mm-hmm. you're just at least thrilled that you're sitting down at that point. Yeah. Uh, and then you find out once they start talking, um, they're just like, they're, they're people, yeah. right? The, the aura kind of goes away because uh, they're, they're starting to tell good stories and you're talking mm-hmm. with them and um, they're just... Uh, they're fascinating and I think what I was also attracted to you know whether you want to say the revelation or not the fact that all these guys you know whether they're on the left or the right there is a respect amongst Mm -hmm. all these guys with themselves and I love that because I think right now things are just so polarizing but yet these guys can understand and respect each other with all the presidents and vice presidents was there anything like a common thread I think the common thread as far as the position goes is just really how much nowadays a president needs their vice president because Mm -hmm. uh, unlike say 50, 75, 100 years ago, there's much more going on in the world today and a president can only do so much in a day that they need to delegate more to a vice president and that trust that they need between a president and vice president, which I think kind of really surprised me more than anything. And then how about the astronauts? Is there like a common thread that you notice between all the astronauts? Uh, I think the common thread, obviously, they all wanted to fly. They wanted to go higher, faster, longer. Uh, So that started everybody in that same direction. But Mm -hmm. now they all get together, and you'll see they fight like brothers. (laughs) And But what I love is the the bond they have because mm-hmm. if something in the public goes wrong somebody goes after somebody or something's not right yeah. they protect each other Aww. and I, I again want cool. something that I love that's awesome so do you have any works in the future that you can tell us about well uh, <laughs> oddly I was hired by Al Jazeera to make a, a short that uh-huh. uh, will be on I think in the next month or two okay uh, but because it's Al Jazeera, we don't really get it here. Uh-huh. Uh, after that, I'm trying to figure out what to do next. Because gotcha. as you can probably guess, I like the, the living right. people to interview. So once you what try to... What if you did like um, Elon Musk and like the next generation of like the billionaire? Yeah, you know, I've thought about that. Yeah. But uh, it's very difficult to get a hold of that guy. I bet. <laughs>
There you go. Well, uh, where can people go to find out more about you and your works? Yeah, uh, so we have a, a website called thewonderofitallfilm.com. Uh, other than that, uh, Wonder of It All, you could find through the website or it's streaming. Uh, President in Waiting uh, is, was on CNN, and uh, 41 over there was uh, HBO. Very cool. Thanks for chatting. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate cool. it. All right. So we're at the Meteorite booth at Space Fest. What was your name? Matthew Martin. All right. Very cool. So, yeah. What can you tell us about meteorites? <laughs> well, uh, unlike most rocks which you find on Earth, which are Earth-based in origin, meteorites are extraterrestrial in origin. They are rocks from other planetary bodies, whether it be from an asteroid, could be from the moon, Mars, or beyond. Very cool. What do you think is like the biggest misconception people have about meteorites? That they're radioactive. Oh, okay. Meteorites are not radioactive. They, they so. never are? Or just in general, no. In general? Interesting. What's the most common kind that, that you come across? The most common kind of meteorite you'll run into is a stone meteorite or a chondrite meteorite. Okay. They account for about 75% of most meteorites. Okay. So, like, say, can you you're just like out and about like what's the best way to determine if you found a meteorite the easiest way to try and find to identify a meteorite is you're looking for the rock that doesn't look like it belongs where you're seeing it okay it's it's a rock that didn't originate there so mm -hmm. when you go out and you go hiking the landscape looks the same all those rocks yeah. have been there for the same amount of time they've experienced the same weathering mm -hmm. their whole lifetimes have been spent together there so they've weathered the same way and they appear the same but when you have a rock that's sitting there and looks abnormally different, mm -hmm. that's when you want to take a moment to investigate it a bit. Because okay. why is it different? Did it originate there, or was it placed there, or did it fall there? Like a meteorite might have. So I notice you have like lunar meteorites and then Martian meteorites. Yes. Um, what are the, the biggest differences between those two? Uh, essentially, the biggest difference would be their origins. Lunar meteorites obviously originate from the moon, and you see, if you look up at night at the moon, you see it's covered in craters, mm -hmm. and those are impacts from asteroids, small asteroids hitting it. And if they hit it with enough force, they can eject material that can at enough velocity to escape lunar gravity. And the same thing can occur on Mars. And those rocks escape lunar gravity, Martian gravity, and if they their trajectory puts them on just the right path, they get captured by Earth's gravity mm -hmm. and fall down to Earth. And if we're lucky, fall on land and don't fall in an ocean yeah. and get found. Um, but they're actually harder to find because unlike many meteorites, which have an abundance of iron in them and uh, nickel and metal and can be detected with a metal detector, lunar and Martian meteorites have virtually no metal in them and oh, okay. you cannot use a metal detector to find them. So they're a lot harder to find. Yeah. So how do you go about finding them then? They're usually, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it, it, it's a rock that looks out of place. So oftentimes rock hounds or people will collect them just because they look neat. Mm -hmm. And then later on they, they meet someone either at a show like this or talking with a friend and they learn about meteorites. And you can have meteorites that come from these other places. And mm -hmm. sometimes rock hounds, they'll look at it or they try and sell the rocks to somebody. Okay. And someone with an, a trained eye will recognize that it's probably a meteorite. It has meteoritic characteristics. Uh -huh. And then you have to have it sent off to a lab or a university and analyzed to d prove it. So is it possible, like, for a meteorite to like break off from like Mars or whatever, and then to hit the moon, and then just to have like multiple multiple variations within it, or is that not? I'm not possible? sure if I follow the question. Just so, right. like, 
Is it possible for a, for a meteorite if it broke off from, like, say first, like, Mars, okay. and then, like, it went wherever, and, like, then it landed on the moon, and then part of that broke off? So, like, it, it, there would be a rock with, like, multiple origin sources? I'm, that would be a very, very unlikely event. <laughs> what you can have is multiple types of stone from the same parent body. Okay. And so you can have three different types of rock that all originated on the same asteroid from the, gotcha. from the same collision, but they were dug up, they were ejected from different depths because okay. the collision was violent. Gotcha. Yeah, and you can have the, they can all coalesce. I have a slice here that has different material. Oh, okay. And when the scientists analyze this, this, in theory, could have been classified as three different meteorites because uh -huh. there's three different types gotcha. of rocks amalgamized within this one piece. Very cool. And so this is called a genomic breccia, and it's an amalgamation of multiple rocks from the same location but at different depths gotcha. of the parent body. What inspired you to get into this field? Huh. I started collecting them as a teenager. I had went into a jewelry shop and... They had this one little meteorite sitting on a display case. Oh, wow. I was just fascinated with it. Yeah. I, and uh, at the time, I couldn't afford it, but my parents <laughs> were in the in the room and heard it. And apparently, they had bought it and given it to me for my birthday the following year. Oh, and wow. that sparked my hobby wow. 25 years now. Did they even realize what they had started? <laughs> no. And in fact, my father ended up becoming a big collector too oh, as right. a result oh, yeah, of it. So it became it became a family hobby. That's cool. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you and meteorites? And they can visit our website, naturalhistorylab.com. So there's a really interesting booth here at Space Fest with some actual astronaut replicas, it looks like. Well, it's actual spacesuits. Actual um, spacesuits. Well, this is an actual spacesuit uh, that um, is the current spacesuit they use on board the space station. So if you're an astronaut on the International Space Station and you want to do a spacewalk, you would get into the suit. And I like to tell people to think of it as a miniature spaceship because it provides all the life support you need. So when you're going outside for a spacewalk for six to eight hours to, let's say, do maintenance on the space station, repair work, you would do it in this suit right here. So this is current style suit. Now to the left of that is we have an, a replica. That is a replica built by Ryan Nagata. Who's, uh, he does costume work for Hollywood, and he's just a real... Real good costume maker, but he his interest is spacesuits. So he spent a lot of time researching the Apollo spacesuit, and that's the replica of the Apollo spacesuit that we built. Uh, so so I represent ILC Dover, the company that won the contest for the Apollo suits back in 1962. So we've had the spacesuit contract since that time, and we're doing the International Space Station suits. We did the shuttle suits, which is really uh, what evolved into this International Space Station suit. But we're looking ahead too. We have a uh, a rendering here of what the next generation spacesuit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. So I don't want to take take oh, the thunder worry. from you, no. but uh, so that. so the next suit is called Astro. It's just a name we've given it. We've uh, funded our own money to develop this suit, and the idea is to have a next generation suit to either replace the current suit for work on board the space station, or thinking ahead, it'd be nice to have a suit to go back to the moon or go to Mars with, and this would be this kind of a suit. So it has great mobility, uses state-of-the-art materials, uh, easy sizing adjustments on orbit uh, or on, on mission. So uh, that's, that's more state-of-the-art. We also have a replica here and a rendering of uh, what we call our Sol suit, S-O-L. And that, that suit would be used by any commercial company uh, that would like to launch into orbit. And, and it's a, what we call a launch entry suit or a, a intravehicular suit, where you only use this suit 
to go up, and if you were to, let's say, lose pressure on board your capsule, this, this suit would inflate and get you back down safely. So, that, so that's an intravehicular suit as opposed to the extravehicular suits, which are used to go out on orbit. Like recently, there, like there's a lot in the news about like the million for the billionaires yeah. going into quote unquote space. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, what kind of suits are they wearing? Well, so SpaceX has their own intravehicular suit. They decide to build their own, but it's not a huge challenge to build an intravehicular suit. You, again, you just need a suit to give you some pressure to get you back down, which may be within minutes. So, and then you're good. It's not gonna. So it's just a temporary suit. So I don't. I sometimes don't even call it a space suit. It's it's a pressure suit. Uh, it's a ride along suit. You know, it doesn't really do much. Uh, the big challenge is the extravehicular suits. And there's no one out there right now looking at. Uh, Perhaps one day, because I'd say in the private sector, Elon Musk and SpaceX are further ahead than anybody else, it could be that one day uh, Elon Musk and his group at SpaceX might need an extravehicular suit. Now the question would be, do they want to invest that kind of money and effort into devising their own extravehicular suit? And that's a, that's a life-death situation there because you've got to have a suit that's really going to hold up to the rigors of space. And we would like to be the supplier of the suit because we have that many years, 60 plus years of experience designing uh, spacesuits, pressure suits, and uh, so so this this Astro suit might fit the bill. Uh, but it, but short term, uh, Boeing we're building a launch and entry t- style suit for their uh, spacecraft, and any of these private sectors that would want, like a uh, intravehicular suit, we would like to be able to provide the sole suit for that. Yeah. So. so like when you were first engineering the, the very first ones. Uh, what, what is like the most challenging issue in uh, Mobility. Um, when a suit's pressurized, it has a lot of air pressure inside, so to, to work with your hands and, and to, you know, the first true working spacesuits were the Apollo suits. Uh, the Gemini Mercury suits were kind of uh, like the intravehicular suits, although Ed White, you know, was the first to go out in a Gemini suit. The mobility is very limited, so the challenge of building a spacesuit is to have it pressurized and yet provide the mobility you need, the flexibility, and make you feel comfortable while you're working in it. And so I'd say that was the biggest challenge. The next biggest challenge are gloves, because your hands, if you think about it, if you're going to take a human to go out and do anything, you're going to work with tools, and you're going to work with your hands. So your hands are the most critical part. So I noticed part. you have some gloves over there. Yeah, so we brought some, uh, rep- well, these are actual glove parts that uh, the astronauts today would use. It's called a phase six glove. And you have a restraint assembly which holds the shape of the suit. Inside of that is a uh, urethane, polyurethane bladder which holds the oxygen in the suit and it keeps it from leaking. And on the outer part of it you have what's called a thermal micrometeorite garment which is very important because if you're grabbing that handrail that's in space that the sun's shining on, it could be 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, or uh, 280, I'm sorry, 280 degrees. If you grab that handrail, it's in the shadows, it could be minus 180. So you have very high and very low temperatures. So it has a silicone coating on it that allows for you to grab the handrails and do the things you have to do to work with it. And it's a very, again, very comfortable suit. So in regards to like Hollywood and how it portrays spacesuits, what do they get right and what do they get wrong? Well, you know, they, they uh, I, I can't say what they get wrong because it's not a functioning suit, so they don't, it's just a costume, so the outside of it, they, you know, think about being a producer in Hollywood, you want it to look neat, you want it to look fashionable, so they go for the fashion, whereas we go for the function, 
Although I have to say, you know, the Apollo suit was very functional. I think when you get into looking at the future suits like Astro, we want to try to be more, you, you want it to have a little fashion statement to it. So, so, and we try to do that with our launch entry suits. The Boeing suit has a pretty neat cover layer to it, uh, neat colors to it, and things like that. So I think there's a combination. It, it's First of all, it has to be functional because that's your life, death, the situation thing. It has to support life. You know, if you can't really think of a suit as a, a fashion statement. Uh, but, you know, in the future, we might add some things that make it look better. So the, the movie industry, getting to your question, I think they do a decent job making it look kind of neat looking. Uh, I don't know that if I, if I look at it sometimes, I get a little critical about how they, they get a little carried away with it. But it's still pretty cool. And they use, like, their helmets and things look pretty neat, the way they engineer that. And, you know, uh, sometimes... Uh, you never know what comes out of it. Maybe our next generation helmets will look yeah. kill a little bit Hollywood. Who kind knows? Kind of like with Star Trek, how there's been a lot of right. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Life imitates art. You know, exactly. it might might have that follow on. Very cool. yeah. So, uh, where can people go to find out more about ILC Dover? Uh, our ILC website is ilcdover.com, um, and it has all the information on our current suits, our few past suits, and our future suits. So. Yeah, ilcdover.com. All right, what's your name? My name is Dalton. Dalton. So is this your first time at Space Fest? It is. It's yeah, my first too. time at this place. It's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Um, what inspired you to want to come down here? Uh, well, I already worked in this hotel, so oh, nice. I, uh, I heard about this, and astronomy has been my passion since I was a kid. Like many other people here, so I decided to come yeah. down and see it and meet the astronauts and see some art. That's awesome. I mean, I know it's like amazing art here. You're standing by the Alan Bean art. And Fourth be... person to walk on the moon. That's so crazy. Like, I didn't know he was an artist. That'd be so cool to, like, get an interview with him. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to try to, him. like, sneak over there see what I can find out. But, yeah. So, um, what have been some of the interesting things that you found around here? This guy over here is selling really, really beautiful glasswork. Oh, wait, when you walk in? Yeah. Yeah. He's selling some really amazing pieces. Probably the coolest art, but it's so small and yeah. such a high price. Oh, it's expensive. It's a bummer. Have you seen any interesting panels or anything? Yeah, yesterday we had a orbital assembly. Um, oh, nice little presentation about building in space and about their next coming prototype going up the next year. Awesome. And so it looks like they're going to build a factory that can build itself. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's cool. I know there was one just a little bit ago about, like, um, caves and stuff on the moon and Mars. Mm -hmm. And then there was, I don't remember, what was so she, I only caught the end of it, but it sounded like she had been to the South Pole or something. But yeah, there's like so many interesting people here. It's crazy. Yeah, it is a really small fest, but yeah. a lot of big names. Yeah, definitely. Have you gotten any you know, autographs or anything like that? I have. I've gotten one from oh. uh, Buck or Cunningham. Nice. Clay. He, uh, he was on the space shuttle cool. for three missions. I've also got an Apollo 7 astronaut from cool. Walt Cunningham. And I'm hoping I can go finesse my way over to get a free autograph from the Moonwalker. <laughs> What's your advice for getting free autographs? Don't bring up the autograph until the end. Okay. Just like... Make conversation. And then, Do they like offer it or do you like no. have a pen handy or like... No, um, this guy was just really kind. Oh, so. that's cool. Well, I'll have to 
to try to get over there. Are they back yet? Yeah, they are. They had a bunch or something, I think. They were, like, all gone for a while. Yeah, Clay and Anderson's an interesting fella. Okay. Any other uh, tips? <laughs> uh, not really, no. No. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for chatting with us. Okay, so I'm here with Tom Jones. Um, how's it going? Fine. Good to be at Space Fest. Yes. Very fun. Everybody should be at Space Fest. I know. This is my first time here, so it's exciting. And it's, it's exciting for me just to get out of the house and, you know, after the pandemic and everything. Yes. So, um, it caught my eye when I walked by here, started walking. So I asked Tom if he was a Star Wars fan. Let's conversation. So, um, tell us, are you a Star Wars? Tell us about being a Star Wars fan. Star Wars came out in 77 in 1977, and I was a student pilot. Um, we liked Star Wars so much that our student, uh, our student class of student pilots chose uh, the Force as our class name. And I designed the patch that we would wear on our flight suits, and it was an X-Wing fighter on our patch, which said the Force underneath it. So, so we all wanted to be like Luke Skywalker back in 1977. And then, of course, I saw all the movies as they came out. And I just, I didn't think I would this past year enjoy The Mandalorian, but oh, yeah. I really did like it. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. So, what inspired you to get into this field? Obviously, it was pre-Star Wars, but was it that other sci-fi things inspired you, like Star Trek? Yeah, I was, I was growing up in the space race in the 1960s, so the astronauts were my heroes, the Mercury and Gemini and Apollo astronauts. Then, in addition to that, um, the rockets for the Gemini program, they were called Titan Boosters. They were being built in my hometown of Baltimore. And as a Cub Scout, I got to see the rockets being built in the factory. And I thought it would be so cool to ride that rocket. And then the third thing was the movie 2001, A Space Odyssey, which came out in 1968. I was 13 years old. And I just wanted to be a part of that future. And so that motivated me towards how do I become an astronaut someday? And so I thought I would, I thought I would become a test pilot and get picked as an astronaut. That's not quite the way it worked out, but I did so become a scientist how, instead. How um, I was an Air Force pilot, but I thought that I would be more interested in science than test flying. And I thought that that would increase my chances of getting into NASA someday. So I got a, I came to Arizona and I got a degree at the University of Arizona here in planetary science. And so then I started applying to NASA, and I got rejected twice. So the lesson there is don't give up. And I just got my credentials a little bit more improved every year, and on the third time I was able to get hired. Mm-hmm. So I'm just noticing now, like on your slides, the patches. So those are each mission, right? Yes. So tell us about missions. I had four flights on a shuttle. The first three were science or research missions. And the shuttle was carrying the experiments into space, and we, the astronauts, would operate the experiments. And on my fourth flight, it was different because we were carrying up to the space station a science laboratory, but we weren't going to be doing experiments in it. We were installing the laboratory. So we delivered the U.S. Destiny Laboratory up to the space station on my last trip. So all of them were different, and they were all very challenging and interesting, too. And so you... You might have noticed that the designs are colorful and different yeah. different shapes. Yeah, really Each cool. astronaut crew designs their own oh, patch. Nice. That's cool. 
how does that design process look? What is that like? Um, we four or five of us would sit around the table. We'd toss out ideas, themes. Uh, we'd make some sketches over at night at home, and we'd bring them back to the crew and show them. And you know, we would come to a consensus on what we wanted in terms of the theme of the patch. And then we might work with a NASA graphic designer to, to develop the actual design. That's a, that's a touchy subject because traditionally in NASA, the pilots, the commander and the pilot of the shuttle would have their names at the top of the patch. And then the rest of the mission specialists, scientists like me, would have our names arranged. But I think that's actually um, a tradition that should change. I think all the astronauts, I think, have equal talents. And uh, I don't think that the pilot is, is, as important, is more important than the mission specialists. So I would do them alphabetically myself. So your book, Skywalking, um, what, do you have any interesting tidbits that you can tell us about your book? Skywalking puts you inside the space shuttle and inside the space suit yeah. for those three spacewalks I did building the space station. So okay. if you really want to know the, what the astronaut is experiencing from a human perspective, that's what Skywalking is about. It's, a, it's an astronaut's memoir, but not so much technical as human and the spiritual side of space flight. So, is it just available like on Amazon? Or yes, it is. Any online bookseller can get it for you. Skywalking by Tom Jones. Yep, and check it out. My website can tell you more about the book. Yeah, it's right. astronauttomjones.com. Astronauttomjones.com. Do you ever get confused with the other Tom Jones? Well, <laughs> uh, sometimes we always have a, a, a humorous moment when somebody brings Tom Jones the singer up, but... You know, as I've gotten older, fewer young people know who Tom Jones is. I'm probably one of the last ones that knows. <laughs> Check out the movie Mars Attacks. Okay. Because Tom Jones is in it. There you go. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks for chatting. All right. So I'm here with Nicole Stott. How's it going? Great. You're... We're at Space Fest. How could it not I know. be anything it's but amazing. great? amazing. Right? This is my first time. Yeah. And I'm having a really? Great it's time. your first time? Yes. All right. Well, enjoy. So my podcast is Nerd of Paradise, by the way. Okay. Um, but yeah, your your artwork really caught my eye. And so I just think that's so cool because you're an astronaut and yeah. you're an artist. So like the in regards to like STEM, yeah. what kind of information would you suggest for like, especially like young girls who are interested in getting into STEM? Well, I think regardless of what you're interested in getting into, it's it should all be based on what you're really curious about, what you enjoy. You've probably heard that before, you know, <laughs> like pay it. I mean, really pay attention to those things. I think nice opportunities open up when you're excited about, you know, what you're doing. Yeah. And um, I personally think, you know, I mean, I love the whole idea of STEM, but I, I'd rather have the A in there, too, with the right. art, because I'd like to see people thinking about using their whole brain. You know, find, finding the best solutions to the problems by considering it from all angles. And yes. sometimes that's a more creative, artistic way of appreciating something. So there's a lot of left brain, right brain activity, I'm sure. Do you find that, you know, like, that they work together? Yeah, I think that they absolutely work. And then they should work together. Yeah. Um, we should, like, not just naturally, but we should be pushing to, you know, to bring yeah. that out. Um, I know you know you mentioned like being an astronaut and an artist, yeah. and I think uh, the reality is that most, if you just picked all the astronauts, <laughs> most of us in one way or another have right. some kind of creative outlet as That's well, cool. whether it's writing or photography yeah. or 
working on cars even. Dan Birch, right across the, the aisle from us, those baskets you see in front of him, oh. he's weaved those baskets and That's done so the cool. sculpting yeah. and woodwork that goes along with them. He wrote that beautiful children's book, and with his wife, they've done the art. Um, you know, we have mus- so cool. musical instruments on the space station. Oh, I painted wow. watercolors in space. I think Dan actually weaved a basket in space. Um, You know, my friend Karen sewed. I mean, it's poetry written. So it's like, I think it's it's part of bringing out the best of us by by paying attention to both. So um, can you tell me more about the exploration of space suit? Yeah, so we, um, when I retired from NASA, I was uh, wanting, you know, I had done this, this painting yeah. in space, and I wanted to use art uh-huh. to uh, share the story of having been in space. And I was introduced to some people. We ended up doing these art spacesuits with kids so in cool. uh, pediatric cancer centers and refugee centers and that. stuff. And uh, we've we've gotten to the point now where, with our new suit Beyond that is under construction right now, uh-huh. we have. A piece of artwork from at least one child in every country on the planet. Wow! And some of these suits have flown to space. That's so cool. Uh, the Unity suit, the Courage suit, uh-huh. the Victory, and there's actually a suit named Dreamer that's on station right now. Awesome. And uh, Exploration, the Exploration uh-huh. suit that you're seeing here. Oh wow! It was. I actually brought the real suit to oh, nice. Space Fest last or two years ago now, oh, I wow. guess. And we'll bring bring Beyond um, next cool. year. And it's just incredible. They're, um, like I said, we usually work with kids in hospitals and, Mm -hmm. you know, places where they're going through something that you hope is the worst thing they ever have to deal with in their life, right? Right. And somehow, I mean, space is just, it's an inspirational thing no matter where you are, right? And then talking about space gets everyone thinking about their future, right? So these kids are thinking about their future, they're transcending that experience, and then they see their individual pieces of artwork That's come awesome. together in something really beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. So the the piece of art there is kind of like art imitating life. <laughs> so, so is that the one that was actually that you took on board? Yeah, because you can see here's the picture. Okay. I know you can't see on the podcast, yeah. but here's the real picture of gotcha. that suit in yeah, space. Yeah, that's so cool. I love yeah. it. Yeah, and then my friend Annette Winkler, who's an amazing artist, she did like a, a huge painting. Oh wow! Of the thing, and it, I mean, her painting looks like the picture. That's it's amazing. so beautiful. And then she made like a hundred of That's the smaller so cool. ones to sell for the. So so the kids each do like a little one, and then they're all sewed. Yep. So each of these is a little square. Okay. Gary here in this picture, he's actually an ILC Dover. The people that make our real space suits volunteer with us oh, okay. to sew these suits oh, together. Nice. And this man is the most talented Very awesome. craftsperson. I mean, honestly, and so he's putting all the. That's so cool. Together for Love the suit. that. Awesome. Yeah. I noticed there's a pre-order. For a book up there, so do you want there to tell is. us about that? Yeah, so I just finished my first book. It's called Back to Earth, mm-hmm. and it's really all about how the way we live just peacefully, successfully, and have been doing so for over 20 years now on the International Space Station as yeah. crewmates on this, I don't know, I think this mission of improving life on Earth through the work that we're doing yeah. there. Um, just the best example for how we should be living like crewmates here on Spaceship Earth. Very cool. So that's what that is. Pre-order now. Yes. And it'll be out on October 12th. Awesome. Yeah. So where can people go? Do you have a website or social media? I do, yeah. Um, for the Space for Art Foundation, the Instagram is at Space for Art Foundation. Uh-huh. And the website is uh, spaceforartfoundation.org. Cool. And about me just individually, um, 
my website is NicoleStott.com. And I'm at Astro underscore Nicole okay. on the, the Instagram and other social media. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Thank well, you. Thank you for taking the time to chat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Have a good rest of your con. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm here at the Anna Fisher booth. So first mom in space. Let's start off with that. How does that feel? Oh, well, <laughs> I didn't plan to be the first mom in space. That just kind of happened. Right. I just wanted to go into space, and I was assigned to my flight two weeks before I delivered Christian, so oh, I was word. a new mom training for my first flight, and it just all just happened. As my daughter said, I owe it all to her. Oh, wow. So what kind of things inspired you to become an astronaut? Alan Shepard. I was 12 years old, and... We were at school. His launch was delayed. Um, otherwise, I might not have heard it. But because it was delayed a bit, we were already at school, and we were crowded around our PE teacher, listening with a little transistor radio, not even watching on TV. And I listened to him talking to Mission Control, and that moment I said, that's what I want to do someday. Awesome. Didn't seem like a very realistic goal, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Here you are. <laughs> yep. What kind of advice would you give for, especially like young girls and women who want to get into this field? To be an astronaut? Yeah. Uh, well, first I would encourage all young girls to consider field, careers in STEM fields, you know, in general. Just engineering, science, astronomy, all that sort of thing. But specifically, if you want to be an astronaut, uh, you really, at this point, and things could change with all the new rockets being developed by entrepreneurs and so forth. But at the moment, you know, you want to, you need to choose whether you want to be a pilot astronaut or a mission specialist. If you want to be a pilot, you really need to join the military. I mean, there's other ways, but the easiest and best way, join the military, become a pilot, and go to test pilot school. So that's a pretty well-defined pathway. If you want to be a mission specialist, you really can choose pretty much any field of science or math that you want. Um, and then just try to do your very best. Uh, I also recommend learning a foreign language like Russian or Chinese, um, since I think the potential is there in the future. And certainly we're working with our international partners. And then you probably want to do something like scuba diving, get your private pilot license, you know, things like that. that show that you're comfortable in different environments. So, I have a question. So, like, I've always heard about the Vomit Comet. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about that? Well, the Vomit Comet, uh, there's there's actually a couple of them. Uh, they're different airplanes. The one that I flew in was, I think, a modified 737, where all the seats are taken out. And then they fly a parabolic profile, so it goes up, and as it pushes over the top, you get about 30 seconds of weightlessness, and then it dies, and you get two Gs, and then and you do that for as many as 35 or 40 parabolas, and most people, not all, get motion sickness at some point during that time frame. So, hence the name vomit comet. I've always heard about that. What does your daughter think about everything? Oh well, she's very very proud, I think. Uh, 
she's in her own right. She was a White House correspondent for wow. Fox News, and she just left them and just had her first week at CNN as a, their senior space, military, and defense awesome. correspondent. That's so cool. So, so I think Following she's in yeah. So she might be here next year speaking or something. We'll see That'd what happens. That would be awesome. That's so cool. Um, do you have any like current projects or anything like that that you want to talk about? Me? Yeah. Um, not really. I mean, the, 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 I do a lot of speaking, and um, I've done a lot of speaking internationally for the State Department as a representative oh, cool. of, of, of the United States yeah. and our space program. And I guess I've been kind of surprised going around the world to countries that don't even have a space program, how interested they are in wow. space. So, um, so that's what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. I enjoy traveling, and I especially enjoy talking to young people, both male and female, but yeah. particularly to encourage young girls. So that's kind of the thing that I focus on. What do you think it is, like, specifically that just captures our imaginations about space? You know, it's really hard to answer that question because it's kind of, I've talked to different people, and either you understand what's so neat about space or you don't. There's people who don't understand why people would possibly want to get in a rocket and leave this planet. And there's other people who understand that. I personally think that uh, exploration is in our DNA. And so we're always going to be pushing the boundaries to see how far we can go. And, and it's a survival thing. Look what happened to the dinosaurs. So, um, so that's... Uh, why I think it's important and I think it's an amazing way to combine science and math with yeah. adventure and exploration. Awesome. Very cool. Um, is there anywhere online people can go to find out more about you? Unfortunately, I don't have a web page yet. I've been told by many people that I need to do that. But all you have to do is Google my name and you'll find out more stuff than you ever wanted all to right. know. Very cool. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you, Kenny. Have Thank a good you so one. Much. Good luck. Thank you. All right, so I hope you enjoyed this new episode of Nerd of Paradise. Hopefully I'll be able to get out and about more often and get more episodes out to you. So be sure to say hello on social media, uh, Nerd of Paradise. On Twitter we are at NFPPod. Or you can go over to nerdofparadise.net. Alright, so thanks for listening and stay nerdy, everyone.